Uh, we started a series, and presently we have it planned through the end of the month, and we might continue, but we're covering questions that God asked. Now, how many of you realize God already knows the answers? So when God asks a question in the Bible, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he wants us to discover something. He is trying to draw our attention to a truth or a reality, or he's trying to teach us something. So we are going to go through this week. I am excited about the question that Jesus asked the disciples that we're going to cover today in Mark chapter 4. Verse 35 says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other, also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? This is the question that I want to talk about today. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? And we would say, well, um, didn't you notice there was this big storm? In fact, I kind of emphasized it when I said furious squall. Because the wording there comes from the same uh, root word that we get seismic from. The, the, the type, he could have, just like in English, there's a lot of ways. You can say that there was, you know, there was a storm. You can say that there was a hurricane. You can say that there was a, a tor like great torrent of rain. You can describe a storm in many ways. When Mark wrote this, he chose the word seismic storm. He uses that term two other times. When the earth shook before, when Jesus was on uh, the cross, and when Jesus rose. He says it was like earth-shaking storm. And the waves were coming over the boat. The situation was dire. Of course we were afraid. And it was nearly swamped. So he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So, I went into Scripture, and I started looking at different places where the Bible talks about fear. I want to read a couple of those to you, and I want to see if we notice a theme. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with a vengeance, a divine retribution. He will come to save you. Psalms 23 verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil 
For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalms 118, verse 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 through 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I, I hope I made it obvious with my emphasis. What do the scriptures keep saying over and over and over in connection with, with having no fear. God is with us. How many of you have kids? Hey, I remember with one of our kids trying to get them to go to sleep at night in their room. If I was in the room, I could lay in the middle of the floor. As long as I was anywhere in the room, he was fine. I would get up, I'd start to leave. He'd see I was gone. Scream bloody murder. I'd come back. I'd be in the room. He was totally fine. I remember climbing out of my clothes, leaving them as an outline on the floor so that I could sneak out and he would still think I was there. It worked. But what... We can all tell stories like that, couldn't we? When, when our kids were afraid. My, my twins, I remember when I was teaching them to ride their bike. And I would get back there, and we had this tiny little, we called it the clown bike, because it was like so small that it looked like a clown would ride it. But, you know, they were so small. They were only like three. And we'd get them on that bike, and I'd give them a shove, and he'd do fine. But as soon as I wasn't nearby, woo, off he'd go. I would literally run the whole way next to him, up and down and all through the neighborhood. And as long as I was there, he felt like he could do it, and he did. But as soon as I stepped away, he lost his confidence. And he quit. How many of you guys are thinking of other stories? And Peter, when he walked out on the water to Jesus. When he looked at Jesus and recognized who he was with, he walked on the water. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he put his eyes on the storm, he started to sink. You see, I think that one of the ways that God desires us to eliminate fear is to increase our awareness of his presence. You see, when I am afraid, the most likely scenario is I have lost my focus of who and where 
God is. God says, do not be afraid, because I am with you. When you realize who is with you, suddenly, hey, I can take this. I can handle this. The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But if we forget, lose focus, that he's with us, then suddenly the world is huge. It's scary. It's big. And God says, hold on, if you're getting nervous about what the world is bringing onto your plate, that's because you have lost your focus of who is in you, who is on your team. I, yeah, it is so exciting to think about what Scripture says. Matthew 10.38 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Think about that for a second. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm going to jump back to a verse we already read, Psalms 118, verse 6. It says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I think that's such a good question. You know, a lot of even even in the natural, psychologists will tell you, when you're afraid, just oftentimes... We have so many scenarios all built up. Even secular psychologists would say, look, what's the worst thing that's likely to happen? Just realize that what can the mere mortals do to me? Wait a minute. I have God on my side. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. If I die, I go to heaven. You know, I've shared with you, I was trying to think about different scary situations that I have been in in my life. And I've, I've shared a few of those stories with you guys. How many of you guys remember the hijacking story? Four? Four people. I might be able to tell that one again. So, when I was 14, I went on a missions trip to Panama. And on the last night before we left, we, we had... Uh, kind of a goodbye party with all the, the, the people that we had been working with in Panama. And there was pillow fighting and all kinds of just, just young shenanigans going on. And the next morning at 3 a.m., we packed up on a bus and drove for about an hour and a half in the dark to the airport. And we had packed all our bags into the back of the, the, the bus. And... The bus is starting and stopping and whatever. It's 3 a.m. We were up late the night before. Nobody's really paying attention to anything except hopefully the driver. And he stopped. We all assumed it's just a stoplight or whatever. All of a sudden, like four or five armed guys with masks and hoods over their head 
jump on the bus and start screaming at everybody. And I was sitting in between, you know, like I said, I was 14, so there were 15 and 14 year old girl that were sitting in the seats next to me. They both looked at me, ah, and just threw their heads down. And they come up and down the aisles and they're shouting stuff in Spanish. They're telling everyone to be quiet. And they're, they're, and they're just shouting stuff in Spanish and nobody's saying anything. The, the leader of the team gets up at one point and everybody like is already quiet. But he says, he says, everybody start praying. And everybody like had already been praying under their breath. They just stopped long enough to hear him. And then we just go back to, to praying. And, and these guys start going up and down and then they start grabbing apparently random people from the group and pulling them off the bus. And I remember that uh, the girl that was sitting on my right happened to look up just as one of the men was coming by with his hood pulled way down and he couldn't see his face and she looked up right into him and she screamed, ah! and she pushed herself over towards me. I watched as the guy grabbed somebody and pulled them across to a girl that was sitting on the other aisle and pulls him out into the, the outside of the bus. And I remember sitting there and I remember thinking through, okay, so if they take my wallet, I will have lost, you know, whatever, $200, $300, I don't remember what I had on my person, but, you know, okay, they take that. Well, and if they do this, well, then, then that's what happens if they do that. And, and I remember going through it, and I remember thinking, well, I have a, a, a pen knife in my pocket. Should I do anything with it? Probably not. Might make a scandal. And just going through in my mind as I prayed and, and just waited to see, you know, how is this going to play out? God, you've got it. And we start to hear laughter coming from outside. What turns out is that group of Panamanian contacts, the people that we had been working with, who we had a pillow fight the night with before, wanted revenge. And they thought it would be an excellent practical joke to get only the bus driver. They didn't tell the leader. They didn't tell anybody. They had the guns they were carrying were BB guns. We didn't have time to confirm exactly what they were, were carrying. They had gotten the bus driver in on it and nobody else. And they had scared the daylights out of the entire bus of teenagers, as well as every one of the leaders. And when we got to the airport and had to make our way back, of course, that was the only thing anybody was talking about. Me and one other person thought it was funny. <laughs> Everybody else was literally still traumatized. Because, and, and the one fella who got pulled, remember I told you somebody got pulled across someone else and brought out there? He, he told how he was convinced that they were going to push him down in the grass and shoot him in the back of the head. And that was just the only scenario he could possibly see. And when they told him it was a joke, he was so mad he swung at him. And the only injury was him breaking his watch on the guy's shoulder and it scraped his arm. He was so upset. And it was, it was a scary situation but and I, I, I can be honest, I was actually like, I thought, well, that was funny. And now I know what it's like to be kidnapped. I got to be kidnapped and I didn't lose any money. Like, 
<laughs> I remember having that thought. And when I shared that thought with some other people, they were just like, you, oh my goodness, you're crazy. But I realized it was the scenario that they had played out in their minds was so dire that it wasn't what happened to them they couldn't recover from. It was the scenario that they had played out in their mind that never even came to pass that they had to recover from. Now, I want to, to read you a story. How many of you guys ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Oh, good. More than people that knew my story, so that's good. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a very interesting book. It's called The Screwtape Letters. How many of you ever heard of that? Awesome. So, for those of you who haven't, it's a very, very interesting book. It's a series of fictional letters from a young apprentice demon to an experienced demon. And this young, inexperienced demon talks about the human that he was assigned to torment. And he talks about, well, what happened? You know, oh, I, I, I think I failed. He became a Christian. And then the, the experienced uh, demon writes back, well, all is not lost. There are still things that you can do. And then C.S. Lewis writes, and we learn from the perspective of the enemy's strategies. And we can read through these things and think from the other perspective. I want to read you an excerpt from that story. So, I want you to think about this. In the story, what has happened is the man who the apprentice demon has been assigned to torment was afraid that he might get drafted into uh, the war, into the army. So he went and asked if he was going to be drafted. And he was told, maybe, but maybe not. And the, the apprentice demon said, you know, I was really looking forward to hearing that he was going to be drafted because then I was going to make him very, very afraid. But now that there's a chance he won't be, I feel like I can't really do anything. This is the response of the fictional experienced demon. Let's listen. I am delighted to hear that your patient's age and profession make it possible, but by no means certain that he will be called up for military service. We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty so that his mind will be filled with contradictory pictures of the future, every one of which arouses hope or fear. There is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. Now remember, when the, de the demon says enemy, he's referring to God. So, he says, there's nothing like barricading, barricading a human's mind against God God wants men to be concerned with what they do. It is our business, that being the demons, to keep them from thinking, to keep them thinking about what will happen. So God wants us to focus on what we do. The devil wants us to be focused on what might happen. It is your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but only the things he's afraid of. Let him regard them as crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him. In other words, let him imagine all of these scenarios that couldn't even happen simultaneously, but then be afraid as if they will. He says, let him try to practice fortitude and patience to all of them in advance. For real resignation at the same moment to a dozen different and hypothetical fates is almost impossible. 
We don't talk that way these days. But what he's saying is, if you're imagining a dozen different horrible outcomes, it's almost impossible to have peace when you imagine all of them coming true. Even though it's situationally impossible for all of it to come true. And the enemy, again, in this scenario that would be God, does not greatly assist those who are trying to attain it. It is resignation to the present and actual suffering, even where that consists, suffering consists of fear, is far easier and usually helped by his direct action. This is what he's saying. C.S. Lewis, through the perspective of this demon, is pointing out a reality. See, God has said... In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. Another translation will say tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here's the thing. And then the scripture, the Bible says in, in the Lord's Prayer, how many of you remember what it says? It says, give us this day our daily bread. You see, God has promised that he will give us what it takes to handle what we face. But here's what some of us do. Instead of handling what has happened, we are trying to handle 20 different things that might happen. We are living in the future and not even one future. We're living in 20 different futures. In one of the futures that we lose our job. In the other future, our spouse dies. In the other future, our kids die. In the other future, we run out of money. In the other future, the, our interest rate goes up. In the other future, right? And, and we are overcome with the anxiety of 20 futures that haven't even happened. We are in fear not of what has taken place. In fact, our present situation is the only thing we can handle, but we're sure that tomorrow is going to be so worse. And God is there. He has provided peace, provision, sustenance, everything needed to handle what actually came our way. Like I shared in that story, I was always so shocked at how affected my friends were, not by what happened to them, but, but, why they, but by what they expected to happen to them. One of the girls that I was sitting next to, like three years later, was in a situation, driving in a car, in the dark with some of her friends. They went to a park. One of them thought it would be funny. Pulled a hood over their head and then jumped out. She had like a PTSD attack from the fear that had never been resolved all the way back to the day that they pulled that prank on her three years earlier. Fear is real. It is an attack. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I want to read that scripture in the amplified version. Where did I put that? 
Here it is, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Let's read that again. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear. God did not give us timidity, cowardice, or fear. But, that is instead, he has given us a spirit of power. We're not powerless. Of love and sound judgment. What does judgment imply? Consideration, thought, balanced assessment of the situation, and personal discipline. That is self-control, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind. Instead of fear, God has given us the ability to have a calm, well-balanced mind. Where does that come from? I believe it comes from trusting that God is with me. That God is handling this situation. I think of another situation when I was trying to think of scary stories, and I think that I shared this in the last year. How many of you remember when I got arrested in Cuba? A few more. A few more. I went on a trip. I think I was 18, 19. I went on a trip into Cuba, which, by the way, was illegal. And what we did there when we were sharing in the churches, that was illegal. You can go read stories of Christians who have been imprisoned for years in Cuba for preaching the gospel. There we were, a group of people in Cuba, preaching the gospel, going around to different places. There were a couple of times where we'd get word that the, the, the authorities were coming, and we'd go running out the back of the building, jump in the car and take off just as they're coming to the front of the building, and we're, we're out of there, whew, went off to the next city, and then we'd do it all over again. In one place, fortunately, we weren't actually preaching at that moment. We were just there hour or two early before any kind of meeting and we're just hanging out and the authorities showed up and arrested us. Now what they had on us was just we were there. I don't want to take too long to explain but in communist Cuba they had to let tourists in in order to get money when the USSR failed because they had been supporting them with lots and lots of money and now there was no money and they needed money and they, they decided well if we allow tourists in, they'll bring money. But <laughs> all of the Cubans are going to discover the lies we've been telling. We've been telling them that the rest of the world has it way worse off than they do. And these tourists are going to prove us wrong. So let's build special places where the tourists can go. We'll have special tourist taxis that only can take tourists and, and, and make it illegal for the tourists to ride in regular taxis. And we'll create this Big division where all the tourists go will collect their money while they're there, will only let people work there who have proven their loyalty to, this, to the system, and then 
Hopefully everyone else just won't notice what's going on. Well, we showed up and they wanted us to go to the beach, go to one of these places, spend our money. Instead, we went to churches all over the, the country. They showed up, they arrested us, they brought us to uh, one of the jails there. And I was there with a group of Mexican Bible school students. And most of them were young, like college age people, and they were freaking out. And myself and the fellow that, that uh, was leading the trip, we were both just kind of waiting to see what is God going to do. And I remember again just having peace. I didn't know what was going to happen. This time it wasn't a prank. But here's what I knew. Whatever it is, it's not more than God can handle through me. I might might be here for a while. I might not. But I remember me and Johnny, we started singing you know, we're going to do a pull of Paul and Silas. We're going to sing the songs. And, and some of these other kids, they're just, they're all worked up and they're all nervous. And they start singing along. And as they begin to put their focus on God instead of themselves and stop running all of the scenarios of everything that could possibly go wrong. And they pull us aside and they question us. And like I said, fortunately, they had not caught us breaking the law. And so eventually, after a couple of hours of questioning, they let us go and said, go to the beach. Quit hanging out at churches. That's not where you belong. So we left that city and went to a church farther away. (laughs) The Bible says that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but we have been given, and I love the way that the Amplified says this, he has given us power and love and a spirit of sound judgment and personal discipline. What does personal discipline imply? I feel like personal discipline, when I hear the word personal discipline, I immediately think of exercise. How many of you? (laughs) It's one of those things, it's good for you. You probably know what you should do. It's just going to be easy not to do it. It's going to be easier. When personal discipline comes into play, that means there's something I need to do that it's going to be easier not to do, but I'll know I should do it, and it'll be up to me. What is it talking about? I believe as it relates to fear, it's talking about what we meditate on. That sound judgment. Do I entertain two, three, seven, twenty scenarios and I pay interest on that debt? I'm a little bit mathematical and someone once said that fear is paying interest on a debt you never even take out. So you never get the car, but you pay the interest. So I did the math today. I looked it up. What's the average interest on a car loan? The average interest on a car loan is 5.7%. According to the site I looked at, who knows? Get better if you got good credit, worse if you got bad credit. 5.7% on $30,000. I have right here the numbers. That would turn out to be a payment of $576.00 of which 25% is interest, $143. Now imagine if I said 
to my son, I'm going to pay your interest on a car. He says, great. But instead of buying one car, he goes out and tries to buy six. He can only drive one. And he decides, hey, he makes a deal with him. I, can, can I have the right to come by and try and drive this car if, if I just pay the interest? So he gets interest-only loans on six different cars. He can only drive one. But now he's trying to pay interest. I've promised I would cover the interest for one. But he's got one and a half payments and he can only drive one car. So many of us, that's the way we're operating on an emotional level. We are paying interest on five, six, nine, twelve, twenty scenarios that may never come to pass. We have anxiety, we have fear, we are worked up. And you know what? Only one scenario will even happen. And when that happens, we have God's promise. He'll be there with us and he will give us what it takes to handle what actually comes our way. I recently had someone sitting in my office and I was trying to share with them that God can handle. He'll, he, will, he won't give them more than they can bear. And their response was, but he thinks I can handle too much. And I said, but how much of what you're anxious about hasn't even happened? And they had to say almost all of it. And they started to realize they were paying emotional interest on fear and anxiety and debts on situations that had not even come to pass. Just like in the screw tape letters, the enemy had convinced them to be fearful of all of these situations. And I like the way that that screw tape letter says. It says, if they will focus only on what their present situation requires, God seems to always show up and help. But if we can convince them to live in multiple scenarios off in the future, we can keep them overwhelmed. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. But you have given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. I ask that you would give each and every one of us wisdom. Wisdom to handle the situations that we have. And the wisdom to recognize when we are paying interest on situations, on scenarios that are nothing but hypothetical futures. Lord, I pray your blessing on everyone here. I ask that, we, that you rebuke the spirit of fear from this audience. I ask that your presence be, uh, that each of us be aware of your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to close with this. It says in 1 John chapter 4, 
16 and 18. It says, And so we know and rely on the love of God as for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete amongst us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. You see, God loves us. And he has promised never to leave us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety. How much of it? All of it on him because he cares for you. If you're here today and you know that you have a relationship with God, that Jesus is your Savior, and if you died today, you'd spend eternity with him, I want to ask you to raise your hand. Fantastic. If you're here and you don't know for sure that you are right with God, the Bible says know that you have salvation. What does that mean? That means you can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that your future, not maybe, not hypothetically, but the scenario of your future is an eternity with him. If you want that certainty, the Bible says it's yours. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be, not you could be, you will be. If you want that certainty, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to bravely raise your hand right now, and we will pray together. Is there anybody here? All right, let's pray. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.